Thank you. And good morning, everyone. My name is Siabulela Nana. I'm part of the pastoral team here at our church, and it is my privilege this morning to be bringing the word to you. And I want to echo the words of Moses and that of Tebo to welcome all of you to the house of God, but particularly those of you who are visiting us and those of you who are back from the holidays. I can see James Brogan has been here for some time. I do realize there may be visitors and uh, associated with them. So if you are new to us today, do you mind to lift up your hand just so we can acknowledge you? There we go. There we go. Thank you so much. Welcome. Welcome. We'd like to meet you after the service just to get to know you. Thank you for choosing us this morning. Uh, before I turn your attention to the Word of God, I just want to take a moment to pray for something that is tragic, is unfolding as we speak in the community. I grew up in the news this morning, about 22 children died. Um, it is after the paper, they, were, they finished exams and schools closed on Friday. And so across the city, it seems, they had planned this event where they will gather together somewhere around Amalinda McDonald and make the way to wherever, to, to the closest tavern. And uh, so the news are there were crowds of children yesterday around 10 in the, at night just walking in groups. And so there was, they went, in one of the places they went to is this place in Scenery Park. There is this popular tavern. The story I got from the friends who live there, um, they tell me that uh, somebody sprayed, whether it's a pepper spray or something, in that place which was packed with children. So there was a stampede as people were running out. Um, it sounds like there is a second floor, so some children um, jump from that floor. And so it's, it's a messy situation. It's a devastating situation. So I, I needed to make a couple of calls to find out if my niece and my nephew were not among those children. It sounds like they were not, but there were other people's children there. And uh, the parents, um, some of them, they don't know. They will be asked to go and discover if your child is not among those children. So it's going to be a very heavy Sunday for many families. So let's take time and pray for these families. Your word tells us that we are to be the light of the world, meaning that the world is full of darkness. And today, Father, we are, that darkness has just been brought into our faces as we wrestle with this devastating news in the community just nearby from where we are. Father, we, we don't know exactly how to pray. <laughs> um, we, we're lost for words as we imagine the parents, as we imagine the families uh, who are shattered by this news. 
uh, some of them will be oblivious for some time as to whether their child was there or not. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are a sovereign God. You sit in heaven and you know everything. You know tomorrow as today and yesterday. Will you please, Lord Jesus, reach out to the hearts of those families? We don't have answers to their questions. Only you can walk with them and help them to realize. So we bring this situation to you. We pray for the authorities to do their work and to come to the root of the issue. In Jesus' name, amen. This is one of our responsibilities as a church. We can easily hide our head on the sand, act as if we didn't hear that, but we've heard it. And part of it is to comfort, which that's what we've just done. The Holy Spirit is there. We are here. Um, we are very limited, but God is not limited. So that's what we're doing. As the church, part of our responsibility is to have our eyes outward to the darkness of the world. It's easy to run away from it and just focus on what makes me happy. But that's not fulfilling the Great Commission. So we're still back on James chapter 5. Can you believe? Yes, we are coming to the end of James. Uh, not yet, but we are heading there. We are in now the last chapter of James. It's been a hard-hitting one. And this morning is not um, exempt from that hard-hitting one. So we read this morning the first five verses, six verses of chapter 5 of the letter of James. Let's read together. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like, like fire. You have laid up treasures, treasure in the, in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by your by fraud are you crying out against are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the lord of hosts you have lived on earth in luxury and in self indulgence you have fattened your hearts in day of slaughter you have condemned and murdered the righteous person it does not resist you. This is the word of the Lord, and we ask the Lord to help us with it as we seek to make our way through. Now, the passage or the paragraph before us this morning, 
belongs or it flows directly from the one which Arno beautifully looked at last Sunday. This paragraph or this passage belongs to the same that Arno preached on last Sunday, which was chapter 4, 13 through to 17 of James. I'm sure you have noticed that both of these paragraphs, the one that Arno preached on and the one that we are focusing on this morning, they are opening verses begins in the same way. Come now you. That is verses 13 of chapter 4. Verses 1 of chapter 5. Come now you. Now, having noticed that they begin in the same way, you further on realize that they are addressed to two groups of people, two different groups of people. Though these groups are different, you notice, however, that there is something common about these two groups. You see it in the opening verses that we've just highlighted. The people that these two verses, opening verses, are addressing are people who need to wake up. That's something in common with both of those groups. They are on the wrong track. And so James is calling them back to track. He's making a call to change of direction. He's saying to them, your behavior is not in line with the gospel, to use the words of Paul speaking to Peter, rebuking Peter. He said, your behavior in this particular area is not in line with the gospel, is not in line with what Christ has done. That's what James is doing to these people, to his recipients. He's calling them back line, coming, calling them back to track. Did you see the sense of urgency? Come now, you. That's what the ESV says. The NIV says, now listen, you. You don't speak like that when you mean to be, when you mean to be nice to somebody. You don't say, come now, you. Of course, you can when you say that, you're saying to this person, hey, pay attention. Sit up straight. Listen now. It's urgent. Turn around and come back. So two groups, but the emphasis, the theme of their message, of the message directed to them is the same. The main thing that concerns James about these two groups is their treatment of God, is their understanding of God, is their view of who God is. Somehow they have a low view of God and a high view of self. They somehow want to dethrone God and be God themselves. 
They are treating God as if he is irrelevant. They have a low view of God. The largest thing in their existence is not God, but it's themselves. Have you ever come across people like that? Who are not aware of any other thing that exists but themselves. And that's what is happening in these two paragraphs. For some time, Apu and I have been reading the story of David. Recorded specifically in the second book of Samuel. Now the first thing that you, <laughs> you discover as you encounter the life of David... Something that you can never run away as much as you love David is that his life is complicated. My word, his life is messy. His life is not a straightforward route. You can't box David. He's way complex. At times for good, but mostly even for, for worse. He's a mix of both good and evil, like, like we are. But David takes it to the next level. But the other thing that you cannot take away from David is his pursuit of God, is his love of God, is his discovery and naming of God. That's David. When he says, the Lord is my rock, my refuge, my shield. He's telling us of the experiences that he had of God. Of when he had encountered a, a situation and God became his rock. So he's a man who pursues God with everything in him. In one of the Psalms where everything about David is brought together into prayer, Psalm 18, somehow in that Psalm he says, he's running, he says, I will leap over a wall by my God, I will leap over a wall. That's the confidence he had on God. And then Eugene Peterson summarizes beautifully when he helps us to see the kind of God David had. He says, the single most characteristic thing about David is God. David believed in God, thought about God, imagined God, addressed God, prayed to God. The largest part of David's existence wasn't David, but God. However, here we have people who shows us that the largest part of their existence is themselves, not God. They are presumptuous. They are boastful and arrogant. And James highlights three marks of presumption. They say to themselves, time belongs to us. So I may do this today or tomorrow. It's all in my hands. 
They say, the world is mine. I will go to this city and that city as I please. I will make money. Success is mine. And so, James' prescription to this presumption is that in your thinking about yourself, remember the Lord. That's what James prescribes to them. I hear you boasting. I hear you speaking so presumptuous about yourself. I just want to remind you something. Remember the Lord. That's what James tells them. Don't walk into the future as if God is irrelevant. Your dependence on God is very wise. That's what James says. Maybe let's take a moment and camp here a bit and seek to pull things for us. We've now sought to expound what James is doing in these two passages. But what he is now anchoring this exposition he's been doing is anchoring it on the first thing, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. And I want to ask you this morning, how is your own view of God? Are you like these people have a low view of God? We must be wary of Sunday Christianity. I'm not sure about you, but it is easier sometimes to come together and sing and hear great things or sing about the greatness and the goodness of God. And then come on Monday, move into an environment where God appears to be irrelevant. And I want to say to you, if that's you this morning, who comes and sing about the greatness of God and the goodness of God, but treat him on Monday as if he is irrelevant, I want to say to you, you need to make a decision. You need to decide as to whether he is great or he is small. And if he is great on Sunday, he should also be great on Monday. If he rules on Sunday, he should also rule throughout the week. And that is sin in the way in which you view God. Are you on the throne or is on the throne. You need to make a choice. But the God of Sunday should be the God of Monday. Sunday should flow naturally to Monday and to the rest of the week. I don't know what kind of week you're heading to. You may be feeling anxious about a meeting that you're going to have or about a difficult conversation that you're going to, you have to have in this coming week. I want to say to you, like James said to these believers, remember the Lord. Don't walk into that meeting. Don't walk into that situation. Don't walk into whatever circumstance as if God is irrelevant. Don't face the future without him. Remember 
the Lord. Remember God's total sovereign and control of the world. And if he is sovereign and in control of the world, of course, that doctrine of sovereignty is the most complex and difficult doctrine, especially after the news I've just told you now. Because the question is, if he is sovereign, why didn't he stop what happened in that community? I don't have answer, I'm afraid. No one has. That's why he is God and we are not. And in the midst of that, we choose to trust him. We choose to trust him. So if God is sovereign and in control of the world, I want to say he is in control of whatever situation you may be anxious about in this coming week. Don't go in that meeting. Don't go in that confrontation. Don't go anywhere before you spend time in remembering of the Lord. Let's remember that this great and awesome God, he, take, he takes huge interest on us. This is not a wishful thinking that this great and massive God takes interest in us. It's not. You know why I'm saying it's not? Because the proof is in the person of Jesus Christ. If God came to this world embodying our bodies through the person of Jesus Christ, that says to you and I, he is interested in having a deeper and a meaningful fellowship with you. And the question is, will you submit to him? Will you bring yourself to the place where you can encounter God? So James says to that first group, remember the Lord. Be humble. Don't be presumptuous. Submit yourself to the Lord. And then now, in this group, which is our focus this morning, James says to them, fear the Lord. Because remember, the, the, the issue with James for both of these groups is their treatment, is their treatment of God. He reminds them of God in their planning, and then these ones, he reminds them of God in their wealth, in their use of wealth. Remember the Lord. And not just remember him in your treatment of other people, fear him. Do you remember the question asked by one of the criminals at the cross when one was mockering Jesus? The other one said, don't you fear God? It seems to me, therefore, our treatment of other people is a flow of our view of God. If we have the right view of God, it will translate itself in the way in which we treat other people. And that's exactly what we see in this passage. Because their view of God is low, it expresses in the way how self-centered and self-absorbed they are. You will see that in a minute. So let's read the passage again. 
to refresh ourselves. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you. And it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who have mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. When I first looked at those verses during this week, I thought to myself, yo, <laughs> we have a very angry sermon this Sunday. At least at the first, that's how I felt. You see, because the language is feisty and aggressive. It's quite a language that James is using here. However, thankfully to the commentators, they helped me to clear my mind. They helped me to see what James is doing here. James is, is drawing now from the Old Testament. That's where he's going. He's going back to the Old Testament. In fact, it's one of the New Testament letters that draws a lot from the Old Testament. That's what he's doing here. He gives us what the commentators called prophetic prediction, or sometimes they call it prophetic lament, the crying out prophetically. That speaks of when the Old Testament prophet will, would confront somebody who is walking and straying away from God. The Old Testament prophet will go to that person and confront them under God's authority. And he would say to that person, if you continue on this path, this and that will happen to you. This disaster will befall you. That's what the Old Testament will say. And at times they will say to those people, because of this disaster that is coming, you better start crying now. <laughs> Cry now. That's what James is saying. He's saying to this guy, cry now. The disaster is coming and is coming for you. What will help you is for you to wail and weep now. I think James would say the same to us today. Wail and weep for the disaster that is coming. He would show them the outcome of their godlessness. Your godlessness, your godless behavior will bring about these disaster upon your life. That's what James is doing here. So he says to these rebellious people, 
now listen you. This is what is coming to you. He's saying to those who think this world is all that there is. If you think this world is all, it's everything and God is nothing, well, you might start wailing now. Why, James, should I start wailing now? Look at verses 2. Your wealth has rotten. The moth have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver have rusted. You may seem covered, but what you are wearing is only worth to be eaten by moths. Because of your ungodliness. Everything that you claim to have is perishing right under your nose. Of course, here James is echoing the sermon on the mount, the words of Jesus, the longest sermon ever preached, which covers three chapters. He says, do not lay up or do not store treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. Now, let's quickly protect this from abuse. James here is not against planning or saving and planning for the future. He's not saying that you are wrong when you save, when you put money away for the future. But James is busy here exposing the, the underlying attitudes for these people. That this saving for them is not necessarily savings, but is holding back what belongs to other people. That's the issue here. The, the attitude in which they do what they're doing, James is more concerned about. Now, if you want to see what kind of attitude that these people have, that James is telling them to start wailing now, look at them. He's concerned about the fact that they are hoarding, that is verses 1 and verses 2. They are holding their worth for themselves. They are wealth for themselves. The second thing in verses 4 that they are doing, which causes James to tell them to start weeping now, is that they are exploiting. They exploit their workers in verses 4. Verses 5, James tells them to wail because they are self-indulging. They are only interested in themselves, on, only on their own prospects. And then lastly, there is bullying that is happening here. They have started to live in such luxury that they have no care of those who have very less than them. Nothing matters. They are the untouchables. Nobody can touch us. We sorted. We live above the law. We live above everybody. We stand high. We look down on humanity. That's us. Such arrogance. 
And because of that arrogance, they, 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 be, they are now become, beginning to persecute the righteous people of God. I'm sure you agree with me when I say none of these qualities are Christian qualities. Would you agree with me? None of them. Or maybe putting it differently, none of them are Christ-like qualities. None of them should be seen among people who profess to be believers. They don't belong to the Christian community. You see, because a Christian is somebody who knows what it means to be a recipient of God's kindness and generosity. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, you are somebody who knows that what I have, what I have received is a gift. I am a recipient of God's kindness and generosity. Surely then, you wouldn't be among these people who hoard and exploit and bully and self-indulge. You can't. That is not in line with the gospel. It's not in line with what Christ has done for you. Surely then, if you are a recipient of God's kindness and generosity, you would want to be a channel of that as well to other people. That's what James is saying here. One of the marks of God's generosity is there in John 3.16, which we all know by heart, for God so loved, he gave. For God so loved, he gave. So, so if you want to know how far God can go in showing his kindness to you and generosity, you know what you must do? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. The cross is the sign of God. That God, there is no limit to what God can do to show his generosity and kindness to you and I. There is absolutely no limit. He did not hold back his only son to you and I so that we can be the recipients of his mercy, his kindness, his generosity. Surely then, when we have received such gift, we would not be counted among these people. The only thing these people know that they have is this world. And when this world is taken away from them, they have absolutely nothing to offer. So therefore, they hoard. They bully, they exploit, they self-indulge because it's all about them. But a follower of Christ knows the world beyond this world. Of course, we are to be good stewards of what God has given us. We look after it, but not in the attitude of hoarding. We hold people accountable, but not exploit them. We give to ourselves, but we don't indulge. We assert ourselves, but we don't bully. 
None of those are Christian attributes. Remember the Lord in your planning. You are not God. Don't face the future as if God is irrelevant. Fear God in your treatment of others, in your use of your wealth. Fear God. Don't store up treasures on earth with an attitude of hoarding. Of course, be a, be a good steward and a responsible person. But don't hold back because you want to be mean to somebody else. Because none of those qualities shows other people that you are a Christ follower. What you're doing by doing that, you're modeling that, I don't know what it is to receive the grace of God. And therefore, I can't share it to others. I don't know what the Lord or how the Lord has been speaking to you. But I can tell you he's been challenging me with his words. With my own view of God. With my submission to God. With my thinking and treatment of other people. I don't know what he's been saying to you and what, how he has been challenging you. I would, however, like to give you a moment to be quiet and allow these words to sink in your mind and in your heart. Let's be quiet for a moment. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believe in him may not perish. You gave, but also you command us to take up our cross daily and follow you. So Lord, thank you for the cross, that through the cross we've been saved. But thank you that you also call us to carry our cross. To be different from the people that James has been speaking to. The people who are hoarding. The people who are exploiting. The people who are self-indulging. And who bully and persecute others. That is not the way of the cross. The way of the cross shows generosity and kindness. Help us, Lord, to fear you. Not because you are here to get us, but because you love us. 
And that's the context in which we can fear you out of love, not out, not out of terror. So may you continue to work in us and uh, bring us to a place where we can encounter Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much. It's easy to take what you have in your hands for granted. It's easy for it just to become a tradition. Easy for all of us, for myself too. It's easy. But uh, what you have, it's a, it's a biscuit. We bought it at spa. <clears throat> this is a juice. We also bought it at spa. But there is a deeper meaning to it. The meaning of this biscuit that we eat is what Jesus did on the night before he was crucified. He invited his disciples around the table and he broke bread. And uh, he said, every time you eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me. Remember the Lord. Our relationship with Jesus is active. It's not dull and long past. It is active. That's what the communion does. So let's eat and drink in remembrance of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your word that is sharper than a double-edged sword which separates marrow from the bone. It pierces so deeply. Thank you that uh, your word continues to work in us. And I pray that it will do so as we go into the week. Help us to remember you. And help us to fear you in love. And want to obey you. So as you go preach this message, the kingdom of God is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, clean those who have leprosy. Freely you received and freely you give. Go with God. Amen.